Welcome to the Breakthrough Life the Battlefield podcast series, presented by the Managing Director of Insight Intelligence Group, ex-military and diplomatic security intelligence services specialist, and now best-selling author, Mario Beckish, ambassador and activist for humanity. Ultimately, Life the Battlefield talks about the most important concerns we all have, how to have hope, to cope, how to survive and thrive in 2022 and beyond and invites you to join the conversation. Welcome to all your risk takers for on the podcast Life the Battlefield with Mario Beckers. And as I said, always my mission is to change one life at a time through my life and business experience. However, true change is coming to the, my guest. And today I have a true privilege for interviewing uh, Dr. Mike. He's a cardiologist, professor, chef, author, storyteller. So instead of me sharing the, his bio and reading, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Chef, chef Dr. Mike with us today on Life the Battlefield. Dr. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Mario. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, just great to be here. Uh, a, a pleasure and an honor. Yeah, this, this is beautiful. 6 a.m. here, 2 p.m. where you are. Dr. Mike, for the, all our listeners and viewers, do you mind just to share the little light on your background who is dr mike and why dr mike is a different cardiologist doctor professor than anybody else instead of prescribing pills we talk about food today <laughs> yeah absolutely I'm, I'm i'm glad to share um so as you mentioned i am a board certified interventional cardiologist i currently teach um culinary medicine at the university of montana here in the states um, but before all that, um, you know, it was about food. Uh, I got into food uh, first. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very old. So when I grew up, there was no internet. There were no celebrity chefs. Um, and, and really, actually, you know, the kitchen was a place where most people didn't want to work. Um, yeah. But we moved around a lot when I was uh, very young. And so I was kind of always a new kid. And my mom was a very good home cook. And when I would come home... Uh, from school, I didn't have a lot of friends, but my mom was always cooking in the kitchen. So I had a connection to the kitchen as as really a place of healing uh, from a very young age that went just beyond the food that that we uh, that my mom prepared. Interestingly enough, you, when I look back, the food that she got, she was really very farm to table. So we were going to yeah. roadside, you know, farm stands, and we were going to the butcher, and we were going to these individual places, and she was, you know, getting some, what we could, and as a chef now, I would consider some really good sourcing of, of food. Um, you know, so it was very natural for me to get into the restaurant industry when I had to, uh, you know, pay money to go to college here in the States. And so yes. uh, I went in, and, and I... You know, I would learned to cook pretty well with my mom, so I thought I would walk into the restaurant and grace their presence that they had such a talented chef as myself uh, applying to, to work. And uh, I was promptly told that there was an opening for a dishwasher, and I could take that or leave it. And, really? And yeah, and so um, yeah, I did. So I actually started in the kitchen as a dishwasher for six months, um, and they said, you know, if you're willing to to work as a dishwasher. Then when we have an opening for a chef, if you do a good job, we'll give you we'll give you that job. And they were good to their word, and so that's how my food training uh, started. And I ended uh, up sort of working my way 
up through the kitchens and then I graduated from college and I went to medical school, but I always had this food uh, connection, uh, if you will. It was always such a, a, a big part of, of my life and, and, and who I am. And then, yes. um, you know, I got into medicine, which, you know, is very, very busy, very demanding. It is. Uh, particularly yes. interventional cardiology. And I really got away from what I knew about, you know, really good food and, and food and health. And I became everybody else, like everybody else, right? We all get so busy. And, yes. um, you know, I, I ignored some things and it was really brought home to me. Uh, uh, several months before I was going to get married, we were going overseas, and I had an ingrown toenail. And so I went and saw the podiatrist, the foot doctor, and he walked in the room, and he looked at the x-ray since I was a new patient, and he said, hmm, what? I'll be right back. And then he comes back in the room again, and he looks at me, and he looks at the what the heck's going on here? <laughs> He's like, I'll be right back. And he, he does this like three or four more times. And so finally, that must be making nervous say. Must make you nervous say, right? Yeah, you be I'm nervous, like, right? It was like coming on, yeah. And and he comes, he comes, he goes. Can I just ask you something? I was like, please. And he says, um, yeah. it says you're here for an ingrown toenail. I was like, yes, that's correct. He's like, how yeah. are you walking? Like he's like, don't your feet hurt? I was like, my feet hurt all the time. He was like, you know, mate, you need a joint replacement like two years ago, and not one, but you my need God. two of them. And um, so being uh, being a me- yeah being a medical professional, the first thing I did was run away and go get a second opinion. <laughs> and <laughs> such an honest story, I like it. <laughs> right, you know, and 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 unfortunately, the second opinion was exactly the same. It was like you need uh, these these surgeries, you need these joint replacements. And so what I did is I went back to my roots, back to. Hey, what can I do about these arth- arthritis that comes from inflammation, you know, etc.? And it, it, I really went back and changed my diet. Now, I did get some surgery where they cleaned out the joints. They took away a lot of the the bone spurs uh, yeah. and growths and cleaned out the joint. Um, but that was Mary. That was over twenty, almost twenty five years ago. Um, I I still have not got the joint replacements. And, you know, I can hike all day in these mountains of Montana, you know, eight hours. Yeah. So, you know, I can't do some of the yeah. high impact things I could before, but that really set me on the path of, of looking at food, both as a food professional, as a chef, and, you know, as, as a cardiologist. Um, again, heart disease, the number one killer in most industrialized countries, is it's a form of inflammation. And so we have this common root, and then the more I got into it... Um, Really, the more we were able to pull these connections together, and the healing aspect of food is great because culinary medicine is really about connections. You know, it's a lot of things. There's a lot of evidence base. We use all the studies. We look at at certain aspects, but what it really comes down to is our individual connection, our individual relationship with food, and yes. how that connects us, you know, in a positive way or a negative way to the planet and each other. And so that's that's how we use culinary medicine, um, you know, as a, as a fulcrum and as a starting point in, in the healing process. And uh, I, I just think a lot of the failure over the last 50 or 75 years has been because we haven't been looking at food and health from the right perspective. We've tried to micromanage it and take it apart into nutrients, which are important. But nutrients are, are particularly important, like if you're, if you're worried about scurvy, 
or deficiency diseases, yes. they're, they're much less um, critical in the equation when we talk about chronic disability and disease. And really, that, that's the yes. plague on the, on the modern West world. It's obesity, diabetes, heart disease, some types of cancers, etc. Yes. So let me ask you a question. Like, you know, we know that you're a cardiologist. Obviously, you see the hearts and you understand the medicine. So uh, we're not here to impress nobody, particularly me, you know, with your medical skills, because the title says a lot that you're now educating newer generation as well. This sounds like, this looks like a movie from the, somebody who was doing the dishwashing, you know, become the chef, but then become the professor in medicine. And then he goes to, for his ingrown toenails to find out that he needs to do some <laughs> replacements and, the, you know, I tried as possible. This is, this, is, this is like a movie. This is like a true movie, <laughs> a, a story, because there's not many successful stories and the smile on your face and energy, uh, Dr. Mike. So the question I do have for you, the it's, second one is when you're performing, you know, obviously the checks on your patients and obviously surgery in the heart, this is quite an intimate question. When you do these surgeries and you see the heart of some patients and you know it's been caused uh, due to bad food habits and dieting, do you say to yourself inside while you're doing surgery or whatever, you know, the checks, you should eat more quality food that will not happen? Yeah, you know, um, that's a great question, Mario. Um, I, I tell you what I, I felt that has really kept me going and, and really in, you know, pushed me to get out and, and share the message yes. of uh, culinary medicine is that, um, you know, I did a lot of uh, clinical trials with new devices and new types of coronary yes. stents. Um, my, as you know, mentioned, my background is, is primarily academic. But, you know, what I realized is that, you know, people were coming in. I was putting the stent in, stopping the heart attack, um, which is important. And that's what we have to do at the time. But it was like I was changing somebody's tire and then they were going out on the road and running over, you know, broken glass and nails and, and coming back in. And I was changing the tire and they were going back out and nobody was yeah. ever giving them direction to not drive on that road or to drive somewhere else. And, and so, you know, there's a time and a place for everything. Um, but I, I felt like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really making an impact. I was just, you know being a technician and changing a tire and putting, you know, a stent in, but then they would go out and do the same things that brought them to me in the first place. And, and what I also noticed from my perspective, um, having done it myself and then started sharing the information of culinary medicine with patients is that there was a whole lot of misinformation out there. Uh, many things. Um, over the can, can you share, can you share us what, what it means misinformation? Because, it's truly as like, you know, this is a unique opportunity to all our viewers and listeners. We have the somebody who knows medicine and knows the food. And this is the great opportunity to you learn something from true experts. So, Dr. Mike, please continue with the misinformation. Yes, oh, well, 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 thanks, Mario. That, that was uh, very kind. Um, as an example, um, what I would say is, you know, one of the first things we do in colony medicine is we look at what's on the plate. And what we have found, which is in parallel with uh, what's been talked about and described by uh, Professor Carlos Montiero from the University of Sao Paulo in, in Brazil, has been it's less about um, whether it's red meat or plants or saturated fat and more about whether the food is ultra processed. 
And when I say ultra-processed food, I mean a specific kind of food that is industrially produced. And one of the hallmarks of this type of food is that we take what's called the food matrix, which is the way nature packages food. So when you eat an apple, uh, you're eating an apple the way nature uh, intended it. When you're eating, you know, a yes. fast food deep fried apple pie, that isn't the way nature, you know, packaged the, the apple for us to eat. <laughs> and, and so these ultra processed foods have destroyed that natural food matrix, which it turns out is a very critical component in the equation that determines the, the health value of food. And so we've taken apart uh, that matrix, we put it back together in constructing these foods, and when we put it back together, we do some very important things. We add a lot of additives and preservatives, which we have now learned over the last 50 to 75 years, while they may not impact our human cells, they can play havoc with the bacteria that live in our gut, our gut microbiome. Uh, what people are constantly taking pro yeah, eh? probiotics yes. for. Uh, and these uh, chemicals that we add cause changes in the gut microbiome, which then, of course, play a huge role uh, in, in our health. And then the final thing that we do when we look at these class of ultra-processed foods, and, and what Professor Montier did is he made a, a system called the NOVA classification, again, from the University of Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, it's been adopted by uh, the United Nations, uh, by the Brazilian government and several other governments around the country, around the world, excuse me, uh, is that we add back layers of sugar, salt, and fat. And we add them back in a very unhealthy way because those foods are constructed to be what we call, in, in, to be politically correct, we call hyperpalatable. Yes. But for the, for the listener, it's to make food an addictive substance like a drug. Where you want it addictive and you want more and more. Substance. That's how we become actually addicted because, you know, I grew up in totally different environment in communism and, you know, it was, a, it was a scary place to be because of the food, you know, shortages I can see right now what's happening. But I do remember in school and, and even my mom, eat uh, green apples because it's good for your, to strengthen your teeth, eat the carrots because it's good for your eyes, you know, I mean, drink the milk because of the bones. But something changed, Dr. Mike, something changed in a few uh the last few decades, the food industry becomes very different. We have the great packaging, you know, everything becomes very tasty. And <clears throat> personally, I'm the victim because when I moved from that environment to Australia, what I first gone, I was going Pizza Hut, Domino Pizza, garlic bread and everything else. And I was like, Jesus, like I'm becoming so fat so quickly. And, and now I realized again, 25 kilos in wow. two years, which was like, yeah, that was insane. And, you know, taking uh, weight down, it's big as the problem. Lucky, I'm st you're still healthy and everything else. But uh, on that note, what's happened to us as a human society? Why we adjusted ourselves to that palate, right? You know, adding layers of the sugar, salt, and fats instead of enjoying uh, normal salad your mom cooked or, you know, my mom made it. What what is changed, Doctor Mike? And I can see I can see like a younger generation, it's quicker to go in the fast food chain than uh, to cook something. Nobody thinks about consequences and obesity. It's the one of the biggest drivers I can see. In, yeah, in the world. And, and and you you hit on another key point, and, and what that's really played with. So we have sort of this 
perfect storm uh, in that they've developed food that is all by itself quite addictive. So you're craving it because uh, our pleasure center in our brain, um, what's called the dopaminergic reward system, responds to sugar uh, in the same way it responds to drugs like opiates. And so this food is constructed to actually uh, what they call in the industry a bliss point, which is the combination of sugar, salt, and fat that lights up your brain and gives you the biggest amount of pleasure from a chemical reward yes. um, approach um, <clears throat> before you find that food unpleasant. So, and it varies on a different food. So, if you want to, you know, if you want a crisp, um, you would want that to be more salty. If you're looking for a donut, you might have a little bit more sugar in there. Um, it, it turns out, as social primates, our brain is hardwired to seek out salt because, as, as primates. Um, in our diet of hundreds of thousands of years ago, that was something that we would not naturally get enough of. Carnivores get enough salt in their diet because they eat flesh. If anyone's ever gone out hunting, you, you know that the, the prey animals always go to where there's salt, a salt lick. Uh, we're kind of wired yes. as omnivores. Uh, we're wired in that same way. So, so it's sort of an evolutionary Achilles heel that we, you know, we are susceptible to that manipulation of our food. Then you combine that with what you talked about, which is the convenience culture. And so it's very interesting. Um, the in the United States, the person who ran was president and CEO of what was called Yum Brand. So they ran our Kentucky Fried Chicken, Pizza Hut, and several other. Yes. Uh, I think Taco Bell at the time. And uh, what he did was he, he gave a, a talk, which was fascinating. He said, well, when I took over Pizza Hut, I wanted to make a better quality pizza so I could get more customers. And he said, it turned out people didn't want a better quality pizza. They wanted a pizza that was easier to get, that was more convenient. And so yeah, what he says, oh, and he, okay. the, the, talk, the topic of his talk was sort of easy beats better every time. And he said, what we focused on was making it easy to get it from an app and making it cheap and making it convenient. And he said, when we made our pizza uh, easy to get and cheap to get, we had more sales. And so that really has to do with sort of this um, pervasiveness, this cultural zeitgeist, if you will, uh, where we're focused, yes. as you said, on convenience. And, and so that plays to us. And, and certainly you're absolutely right. You know, uh, to prepare a meal takes time. It takes effort. You have to care about it. Um, but what we look at in culinary medicine is if, if we can do that experience and make it so it can work with our, our modern day lives. Listen, I ran a, an, a professional kitchen. And so I understand about yes. time because we have service. I understand about economics because you, you can't have food go bad. So there are ways to approach uh, preparing that food that we can, we can deal with those issues. Um, but boy, part of it is, is taking the step back and saying, you know, I, I'm not going to eat mindlessly in front of my computer. I'm not going to do this, you know, as I'm driving, look at my cell phone and things like that. People think, and we, we often pat ourselves on the back because we're like, I'm a great multitasker. I'm doing, you know, 10 things at once. Well, here's the real world scientific data <laughs> is that, that, that our attention is like a pizza. Um, you can cut as many slices yes. as you want, but it's one pizza. 
<laughs> so you can even focus yes. your entire attention and and one pizza or you get little bits of attention yeah. doing a whole lot of things not very well and so can I just quote you? So, Doctor Mike, I like to quote something to our listeners, which I pick it up obviously from the Doctor Mike website. With Chef Doctor Mike' targeted approach to the complete food experience, it's not just what we eat, but the how, why, where, when, and with whom we choose to dine. This revolutionary vision is breaking new ground, and you just say something like a multitask eating from the computer, everything else. May I ask you a question? Yeah, I'm sorry, no. I'm just <laughs> jumping into your word. Okay, this it's but how, where, where, when, and with whom? Why is this important, Doctor Doctor Mike? Why is it important all these elements? When we gonna eat food? With whom? It's like my my biggest. I was reading, you know, yesterday morning in my office, like with whom I eating food? Is this is important, right? You know, and then you know, I think myself maybe I'm. Should have to somebody eat my, but well, so please, if, you know, can well, you sure. elaborate? Think, this? Let's think about you know our first food experience. So, what it does with with our moms, either you're breastfed or, or, or yes. be it breast or bottle, we're actually bonding with our mothers over food, right? So that that very first meal we have, and and it changes um, the relation. You heard me talk earlier about how with this ultra-processed convenience food and the, the, the advertising that goes on, it hits us at our dopaminergic reward centers. Well, when we share that meal and when we're nurtured by our mothers, we don't operate at the dopaminergic reward center. We respond with oxytocin. So that is a completely different neural pathway. People may recognize that as the hormone of love. Um, it's why, you know, no matter what a rotten kid I was, and my God, uh, I'm just lucky. My kids were not as bad <laughs> as I was. Honest, look um, kid, I look back and I'm yes. like, you know, my, mothers are really saints. Um, how she didn't disown me, I yes. don't know. But, but my mother managed to love me despite myself and what I did. And that's oxytocin. Yes. Um, it, you know, it, it it's a mother's love, and that's the best way I can I can describe it. And yes. It's the love you talked about the food with your mom, and and what also the studies yes. have shown us is that in families where it doesn't have to be every day, we're we're all very busy, but where there is some connection to a family meal, often something that's you know made from scratch and shared. That affects the health and the dietary and food choices of people later on and in, in, into middle life. Um, so when yes. we're eating, when we're eating as a, as a family eater, when we're having those connections, that impacts us um, all the way throughout our life in terms of, of what we choose. And then, you know, it gets back to these connections that I talked about early on. Uh, we are human beings, and, and people often come and they say, oh, culinary medicine, uh, you're doing, you know, uh, food as medicine. That's great. I'm like, no, I can't. I'm a cardiologist, and I can't get my patient to take an aspirin. So, you know, uh, realistically, nobody's interested in taking more medicine um, and making food medicine. As a chef, you take the, the life out of it. You take the humanity out of it. What we're learning, right, is that these relationships that we have um, and this is data from uh, both the Blue Zones um, which is a National Geographic and Dan Buettner's work and with yeah. the Harvard Happiness Study done here in the States where they it's going out over 80 years now and, and what they did was they asked a very simple question Mary they said uh, 
when we look at people who live a long life, who live a healthy life, yes. who live a happy life and who are well, um, what is it that makes a difference? What separates out? Is it their cholesterol level? Is it where they live? Is it the socioeconomics? Uh, is it the car they drive? You know, what is it? And, and it turned out to be a very simple answer. It's the quality of the relationships that we have in our life. And that is the most important variable in determining how long you live, how well you live, how healthy you are, how well you are, uh, and how happy you are. And so, um, and I can tell you, I see a parallel as a cardiologist, right? I know that depression is as important and as potent a risk factor as any cholesterol level. But it's easy for me to give you a pill to make your cholesterol go lower and, and deal with inflammation. But it's pretty hard for me to write a prescription for Mario to get, you know, 26 happiness units uh, you know, every morning. <laughs> uh, I like it. That's why. Yes, yes, truly. I do, you do like it. You know, this is, this is what I was looking forward uh, talking to you. I saw, I read articles, I saw some videos and everything else. And then I was watching as well. Uh, with a good friend of mine, doctor, uh, with Daniel Tolson, I said, like, this doctor is not just a doctor. This, this, it's like, it's like, as I said, like, you know, when you watch the movie and somebody comes in your life and suddenly actually teaches you everything. And, you know, for, again, from my personal experience, we, everybody try to be the beast till there's no time to become the beast. And what that means, when you face some difficult situation in your life, medical situations, People start wanting to change. It's difficult to change. As you say, I'm changing the tires and they're driving over the glass or the nails and everything else. And people coming back to repla be replaced, uh, you know, the, the body parts and, you know, being fixed in different ways. But we never listen our body. We never choose to listen to people like yourself. And I'm inviting everybody, please contact Dr. Mike if you want to know how to have a better quality life. Give him support and love because... This gentleman, apart of being an academic and cardiologist, he knows what he's talking about food. And we corrupted our, our bodies with, the, with the, all these foods. Uh, on that note, I was reading the, some statistics recently, pre-COVID. He said most of the heart attacks happen between 7 and 9 a.m. on Monday morning. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's, you know, <laughs> that's a new one. And they said, like, because of the stress and anxiety, I said, like, okay, you don't, the heart doesn't just, because you have stress, anxiety must cause something. You know, the blood clots. I'm no medical ex expert. I don't know nothing about medicine. So that's the reason we have the doctor here, uh, Dr. Mike. And you said something very interesting in, in your, all your articles. Forget everything you have been told about food and health. It is not about calories. Well, I'm going to come to this one. It's not about separation or deprivation. It is about integration and inspiration. Dr. Mike stated, I want people to forget about eating healthy and I want them to think about eating delicious and obviously be happy. So, Dr. Mike, we have so many experts on our online social media. You know, obviously, you know, they didn't, <laughs> didn't have the academics like yourself and done the, the open heart surgeries and the, in talking to patients. So, we've been educated by social media. There's uh, so many of these so-called gurus, right? Uh, eat just the meat, uh, have the keto diet, you know, because when I was eating about keto diet as well, it's all fats, you know, I mean, it's like, that doesn't make a sense, you know. Anyway, um, uh, calorie deprivation, everything else. Tell us, Dr. Mike, no, we talk about the people. What are you saying? What is the food? 
we should concentrate ourselves, as you say, being happy. You know, and, and, and what it comes down to is the individual. So, as you said, it's about being happy. Yes. It's about listening to your body. And, you know, my goal is not to tell people what to eat, but to give them the tools so they are empowered to, to you know, source really good uh, quality food. Nature yes. will provide that. That makes you happy. Um, you know, sustainability. So in culinary medicine, we certainly care about the fact that our food is produced sustainably in a way that helps heal the earth. We prefer mm -hmm. organic uh, produced yes. by regenerative agriculture, those, those sorts of, of methodologies. Um, but it has to be sustainable for you, Mary. You have to sit down and, and like me, get excited about you know yeah. food. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm going over to do yeah, in like a couple it, yes. of uh, yeah. months. I'm going over to do a week where I'm, I'm cooking for uh, some folks, and we're going to be in Ireland. And so, you know, I'm pulling out my seaweed cookbooks because I'm excited to cook with seaweed. Um, yes. You know, we don't we don't have a lot of that in Montana or in the middle of the country. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> mountain time. Right. Yes, so, yeah. <laughs> so it's 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 really uh, about finding those things that work for you, and and the reason that one size doesn't fit all has to do with our genetics. So we have our own DNA, and there's something known as nutrigenomics, and we've really learned that over the last decade or so. So that when certain people eat certain foods, it can turn their genes on and off. So the food we are eating is is turning our genes on and off in, in good ways and in, and in bad ways, depending on what we eat. Then we have something, a study known as epigenetics, right? And so that is, you know, again, um, Carlos Ravelli, a uh, brilliant uh, Italian uh, theoretical physicist, the loop quantum gravity, when he talks about the, the reality of the universe, what is the, how does it really work? He said, we don't live in a universe of things. We live in a universe of relationships where everything is defined by its interaction with something else. And so we are defined, we are shaped by the earth we live in, the environment we interact with. And it turns out that that's not, that's a lot yes. more than sort of just philosophical, me metaphysical mumbo jumbo, because our environment can turn and our interaction with the environment can turn certain genes on and off. And that's the whole study of, of epigenetics, essentially. Then we have our gut microbiome. So we have this collection of bacteria that appears to be like fingerprints, right? Everybody has them, but they're unique to you. Uh, and there are, are certain sort of broad groups that are associated with inflammation and certain types of disease and heart disease and, and things like that. But everybody's gut microbiome is a little bit unique and will respond differently. So we know some, as we would say, good practices but ultimately, the, the combination of food that's right for you um, may not be right for somebody else. And, and I'll share a story, a quick story with a colleague, uh, a colleague yes, of mine. Please, um, yes, please, absolutely. And she uh, uh, did some nutrigenomics, and, and she's a physician. And she said, well, after her uh, last yes. child, uh, she just couldn't lose the baby weight. And she said, you know, I, I went on a vegetarian diet, vegan diet. I was at the gym an hour a day, and uh, she said, I'm, I'm only about five foot seven. And she said, you know, I was 190 pounds, and I became diabetic. And she said, so I looked at what my genome is. She, she basically now is an, uh, a doctor who practices nutrigenomics. And she said, it turns out that I had a um, not rare, but certainly not, you know, common 
uh, abnormality in the way she processed carbohydrates. Well, that's not really good for somebody who eats a lot of carbohydrates, which are vegetables, things like that. But she said she changed her diet, and then based on some other things, yes. she changed the way she exercised. Yeah. And she said, you know, it took about a year, she said, but she's no longer diabetic, so she's not on medication. She's down to about, uh, I think she lost about 60, 70 pounds, so she's around 120 pounds. Um, and, you know, that was her story where, you know, sort of the, the common wisdom would say, oh, well, vegetarian diet, exercise for an hour every day, that's the recipe for success. But it wasn't the recipe for her. Um, she needed something different. So we, we want to empower people to be able to do that. You know, I used to uh, teach martial arts many years ago. And the way I move, uh, you know, was not the way that somebody who was in my class who was six foot five would move, who played football. And yet I also, yes. you know, yes. would have um, women who were in their 40s who were, you know, 120 pounds. And so the way that they would move... Everybody could follow the principles. Everybody could achieve success, but it looked different for every person in there because we are all individuals, and and I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, what I find delicious, you might find horrifying. Um, I eat just about everything. So how we how we come how we come to the, yeah that's that is true, but it's uh, how we come how how we come first of all you know I know there's gonna many. Um, gurus, health gurus in Amin who are advising to eat wages or only just a meat and the eggs. Uh, they're going to say like Dr. Mike doesn't know nothing. You know, he's just a professor cardiologist, but he doesn't know nothing. Um, but as, <laughs> it's reality is that you, you said this very well, one size fits yes. all. That's a market approach, right? And take all the supplements, you know, going to be great and good. And recently I was watching something on YouTube which come to me just suddenly for some reason there's a lot of bodybuilders actually end up in a hospital, right? Recently, last last four months in U.S. and many people died. And you will think that these people are very lean and, you know, mean, and there's no fats in them. And they suddenly have a heart attack. I'm like, God, it's, it's good to be like me, Mario Beckers, you know, 200 pounds, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> that's what it is. But the point we try to ask, how are we going to find out what is best for us or not? To contact you or watching your shows, how we how we get, how people can learn. Oh, oh, certainly, uh, well, What's certainly, on? folks are welcome to uh, contact me. Visit our webpage. The course that we teach at the university, our introduction to culinary mm -hmm. medicine course, is is open to, to everyone. Yeah. But you know, it's really not that complicated. Um, I, it, now, because it's it, because it's not complicated, doesn't really? mean that it's okay. it's easy to do. Um, but if you dedicate yourself, the, I'd say the first thing, um, because in Australia and, and many other Western nations, it's very much like it is here in the United States. So 70% of the average American's diet is ultra processed food. So 70%, and actually that 70%. starts after the age of five in the United States. So from age five onwards, most of what the average American eats is ultra-processed food, almost 70%. So anything we can do to cut down right away the amount of ultra-processed food we're eating, that's a step in the right direction. And, and you brought up something you know, that I, I'd like to encourage as people start to maybe get away from the ultra-processed food, and that's how do we eat. So maybe once a week, you know, you, you take, uh, maybe it's a Saturday, a Sunday, whatever, you know, take a few minutes and, and actually, you know, look at your food. 
Be grateful that you have it. Where did it come from? Because whether it's a plant, whether it's an animal, whether it's a fungi, um, something gave its life so you could eat and, and you could live. And, and that's, again, that starts to change our brain chemistry in a positive way. And, and what we know from things like that, there's a whole field out there called MB-EATS, or Mindfulness-Based Eating Awareness Techniques. And what we know is that when we engage in those types of mindfulness exercises, we can measurably reduce our level of inflammation. And, and really, a lot of what we see, obesity isn't just calories, it isn't just eating too much, it's actually an inflammatory disease. Heart disease is an inflammatory disease. Diabetes is an inflammatory disease. So, you know, we're living in an age, um, the, the changes to our gut microbiome that come from this ultra-processed food result in, in sort of tipping us into too much inflammation. We need inflammation. It's a healing mechanism in our bodies. Um, but, you know, it's like turning a light switch on, right? You, you want to turn that light on, and when you leave the room, you turn it off. And if you just leave yeah. the lights on the whole time, you burn them out. And, and that's what happens in our body with this chronic Can inflammation. I say something? It, it, yeah, like, you know, I'm just upset now, you know, upset on a positive way. And that, I said this why. A few years ago, I was watching something, Netflix documentary. And uh, instead of, you know, bedmouthing somebody, Let's go say this. I juiced everything, all veggies and all fruits. Maybe you saw that one, right? And suddenly this has become the, the greatest thing. However, you pointed two things. One, it's that inflammation, that people actually uh, take more medications than medication for medication for medication, and then become more and more and more ill. But what upsets me, actually, it's like that somebody like yourself who is not discovered, you know, I mean, I consider myself as a... <laughs> Christopher Columbus, I discovered, you know, Dr. Mike. So, like, <laughs> but what upsets me is that, you know, there's, a, there's a, so much abundance of knowledge and expertise in you. The person who sees the human body from inside, you know, first of all, I've been in military, so the wounded people, but I will never be able to do this as a practice, right, like you did. So you're seeing all of this, what's happening, and how the we as a humans being manipulated by the, all this marketing and, now I understand layer of the sugar layer, the salt layer, the fats, and so on, so on. And why would not be educated on a way, as Dr. Mike says? So I'm inviting you, everybody, feel free to visit Dr. Mike's website. I'm going to put down below in the link, uh, visit Dr. Mike, learn how to live happier and healthier, not just a healthier. And uh, you know, if you want to listen to somebody how to live healthier, Dr. Mike, it's your choice. But Dr. Mike... I have some. More, I have more questions for you. So that's what it's like. So, you know, there's so much energy in you. There's so much happiness in you. Like obviously, you don't take some drugs. You take it good food. So that's the reason reason why you're so happy. <laughs> but the, the when what was your first meal? You know, you created on your own. Do you remember? Do you remember uh, what was well, your first um, meal you cooked? <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna, I want to jump back for one thing Fried you said eggs. because you, you talk about eating good food makes you happy, and there there actually is scientific yeah. re research that proves what you just said is absolutely correct. Because when we have a certain type of bacteria yes. in our gut, so we have a certain distribution of certain types of bacteria, yeah, and we feed them well with good food, so real real natural food, those bacteria secrete yes. a substance called serotonin. And part of that serotonin molecule escapes the gut and gets into our bloodstream. 
And in fact, if I were to take a sample of your blood at any time, about 40% of the molecules that are in the blood that are communication molecules, so they're hormones and other communication molecules that are sending signals, about 40% of those uh, come from the gut at any given time. So there's this huge ongoing connection that's like a major freeway between the gut and the brain. And it, a lot of it is in the backdrop that we're not aware of. But that serotonin gets up into our brain. And, and if someone suffers from clinical depression, one of the drugs we use, they're called serotonin uh, receptor uptake inhibitors. And what that does, um, in a nutshell, is that it makes more serotonin available in the brain. It stops the brain from, from breaking that down. Serotonin is, is a happy molecule. So literally, when you eat something that the bacteria like, they are secreting something that makes you happy. So one of the important concepts, which I don't want to get too much into it because it's kind of weird when you think about it, but it's it, it, because when you think about it, we, we really are not in control of ourselves yes. because, you know, uh, most of the cells, depending on, on who you read, it's anywhere from 40 up to about 90% of the cells that make us a human organism are not human cells. They're bacteria, they're fungi, they're protozoa. We have a gut microbiome, bacteria lining inside of our, our lungs as well. There's bacteria all the time on our skin. Um, so all this interacts and and you know within medicine we have to actually start thinking about ourselves as not as these isolated human beings but as very complex integrated human organisms and and so that is the way that that we function and so um just you know your comment there is so very true and and scientifically valid in that Eating the right food and having the right gut microbiome actually does, you know, change our mood. And, and I'll even go one further. There was a study done, I believe it was several years ago, out of the uh, United Kingdom, where they showed that depending on what you eat, the bacteria actually send signals in the large intestine, uh, certain types of short-chain fatty acids that actually work to tell us that we're full. So the bacteria are helping us maintain a body healthy weight because when we have those types of bacteria and we feed them and they're doing their fermentation business in our gut, it comes back to us as a signal to, okay, you've had enough to eat. Let's, let's slow down there. And, and that just shows for me, that was, um, you know, a, yes. a very, um, pivotal moment to see that, wow, there is this interface that we have in our own bodies that it, it, it sort of runs the interference. So, you know, they're, they're the guys, um, you know, on the front line, you know, going, they're the strikers on the footy field, you know, running down there and, and, and setting, it, setting up yes. the, 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 the score, the goal, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, you know, in our interface with the earth. So we are, we are so tightly connected as we should be to our earth, but in our daily lives, we remove ourselves and it turns out that those can have profound effects, um, you know, upon our health. So, again, one of the, the things that we emphasize in culinary medicine, certainly we start with ultra-processed food, but it all comes back to these connections. And I can't, I probably couldn't recall um, what the very first food I cooked was. I do remember cooking, um, you know, with my mom. And one of the first things that I can remember 
is her showing me how to make an omelet. Um, you know, a proper French omelet. So, uh, and it turns out, I just want to let folks, I want to let folks know, um, the data, uh, when you eat eggs, is, particularly you if you can go get, and get the organic real eggs, they do not correlate with your risk of heart disease. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, my next question is now, since you started your, your own, um, uh, a sort of business, right? You've been becoming entrepreneur, promoting the healthy eating and culinary medicine and everything else. Do you mind to share with us, you know, what was your biggest obstacles you found when you start venturing yourself in that in that space? Because, you know, if somebody sees your titles, it's like, oh, this guy, you know, he's loaded and he's okay. He's opened the hearts, replaced the hearts, all these things. So nobody sees that every human has obstacles in life, but takes the courage you step out and go against, uh, I'll call this conventional medicine, you know, he'll go pills, right? Just pills, 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 pills. And the pills doesn't help. They don't uh, treat the cause. They treat it just a symptom, right? And then we don't, we don't become healthy. And uh, I don't know. It's like, again, I'm not a medical expert. I have nothing about medicine. This is all what the, just what I heard, my research. So what was your biggest obstacles you faced personally, Dr. Mike? It's, it's still the same uh, challenges I face, Mario, which is um, that there's sort of an entrenched yeah. um, what sort of approach um, funded and supported by the current economies um, that, that doesn't yes. want to see this change. They don't want people to be able to go mm. eat real food and, and be healthy. Um, you know, that's not sort of what the dogma is. And so, you know, when I started this well over a decade ago, I remember sending one of my first books to a good friend of mine who is also a, a professor at a, at a very prestigious university in the United States. And, and he looked at it and he's like, Mike, this is great. I, I love what you're saying. Um, I love all the, the research that you did. The data is good. He said, um, but I, I can't recommend this because I'll get fired. Uh, it's so against... You know, when I was saying, you know, the food you eat and when you eat cholesterol in your oh diet, that doesn't affect your blood lipid levels. It, it, it doesn't. There's no data there for that. Well, at the time, everybody was taking cholesterol out of food and they were eating sugar instead and, and getting in a worse place. And sure enough, a couple of years ago in the United States, they actually got rid of the guidelines for daily cholesterol limitations because they said, well, we went back and looked at it. There's no data for limiting the amount of cholesterol in food. It doesn't make sense. Um, you know, so that was a vindication for me. But I still get a lot of people who say, well, um, you know, it's, it, it, it's about the nutrients. It's about the percent saturated fat, et cetera. Um, but I will tell you, change is coming. And, and I'll share one more quick story, if, if you bear with me. And this is... Um, Oh, thanks. Thanks, Mario. So this is uh, one of those people Absolutely. who for the Dr. last Mike. 10 plus years has been saying, Chef Dr. Mike, you're crazy. You're, you're full of it. You know, it doesn't have to do with ultra processed foods. It's not these other things. It's the nutrients. And, and that was uh, Professor <laughs> Hall, Kevin Hall from Harvard. So Kevin, for, uh, about two years ago, did a study, which is subsequently published, where he set out to prove basically that what I said was wrong and that he was right. And it has to do with saturated fats and nutrients. And so we took two groups of people uh, over at the NIH here in the States, and they had exactly the same diet. So they had exactly the same amount of calories every day. They had 
and this is very important, exactly the same amount of, of macronutrients, so the same amount of carbohydrates and refined carbohydrates and sugar, et cetera, et cetera. The only difference was one food did not have ultra, one diet yes. did not have ultra processed foods, and one diet had things over here in the states like breakfast cereals, like Honey Nut Cheerios, and things like that. So it was ultra processed food. Yeah, exactly. And and then All he watched them, and what he found morning, was that yes. people who ate ultra processed <laughs> food gained about a pound a week spontaneously, and markers of inflammation went up. And when they switched and ate ultra-processed food, uh, they ate food that was not ultra-processed, they lost weight spontaneously, and their inflammation levels went down. And so he said, if you had told me that before I started the study, I would have said that's ridiculous. Uh, he's, he's now doing a very large national study that will finish yeah. in the United States in 2024. And his conclusion was, I don't know what the food scientists are doing, but whatever they're doing in the United States is making Americans fat and sick. And I give him a lot of credit because he went in and he thought he was going to do one thing, but he listened to his own science. And and that's not an easy thing to do. There are a lot of people out there who would just never publish that and you know continue to do what they were doing and say what they were saying. Um, but he listened to the data. He listened to the evidence. Um, so I want to give him a lot of credit. Um, you know, certainly he doesn't need it for me. He's a he's a Harvard professor, yeah. uh, but I do give people like that a, a lot of credit. And personally, for me, that was a lot of vindication. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, a, a lot of people when they don't like the message or they can't argue with the facts, they like to shoot the messenger. I just want to say that one. You see, that that was a mm -hmm. that was a connection. I just said like you know. You never shoot a messenger, but that's a reality in life. Uh, before we had the interview, uh, I spoke with my son. My son is a 19 years old boy, and um, many listeners know the followers. My son was being diagnosed with epilepsy, age nine, brain surgery, and the last year, you know, now it's healthy. But last year, he somehow fought into the he something happened. I don't know what happened, but become diabetic type one. But he studies medicine, right? For which is a very big success. And we spoke yeah. about fat. You know, I mean, he lost the weight. He's become diabetic. You know, I mean, he's become a nice, good-looking guy. Bottom line is, I spoke to him. I said, I'm going to interview Dr. Mike. And he was reading. He said, oh, dad, this is good. And I said, Mateo, why we are so fat? And then he told me, remember the movie, Dr. Mike? Oh, Wally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. cartoon called Wall-E. Wall wall it's a little... <laughs> And when everybody was spaceship and like you know just eat and drink, and he said he said Dad, I think we're going that way because people just you know it's a convenience as you say, Doctor Mike. And for that, I'm very grateful. And I'll make sure that everybody hear the message and be in contact with you. So, Doctor Mike, before we end up, sure. Uh, they can go to uh, www.chefdrmike.com. Um, you can follow me on social media. I'm always posting there. Uh, all those things are on the website, so the website has all the information, information about the course, um, and, and I'd love to hear from you. Um, I'm not uh, famous yet. Mario's making me famous, but... Uh, <laughs> don't you worry, like, don't, you, right. we're going to uh, make you famous, you know me? But I do answer all Columbus, my uh, own um, responses, so if you want to <laughs> uh, send me a note on, on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram... Um, give me a couple of days because sometimes I'm on call yeah. or busy. 
but I, I, I answer it all myself. I love to hear from people. I love uh, the questions. Not and, I you know, let me hear your challenges, um, things you want to know about, um, because culinary medicine is so broad. And, and as you could tell in, in the excellent conversation we've had, yes. Mario, it, it touches on all things. You know, for me, um, food food is uh, – our food story is our personal story. And, the, you know, the story of food really is the, the story of humanity. And, um, you know, we're here and we, we haven't had a chance. Um, you know, I'm going to get down uh, to Oz and, and we're going to do some things and, and we're going to have to share some food. I just I'll ask you that question. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. Hold on, there. I'm going to ask one question for the Australia audience, particularly. Yeah. So, Doctor Mike, would you oh, be happy? Uh, would you be gosh, happy to come and compete, compete in Australia? I've seen the quality Master of your Chef. chefs down there; they're pretty darn good. Um, but I'd love to come down and and help them do a you know a healthful food challenge and source. Because one thing I do hear, and and I do love Master Chef. I'm going to explain. I'm a biased. I'm a huge fan of, of Gary, George, and Matt. So they're, they're, they're amongst my favorite chefs. Um, but, you know, I will say to say, oh, well, it has lots oh, of butter, okay. so it can't be healthy. Yeah. Well, that's not – but it turns out that butter can be healthy, right? People who eat uh, more yeah. butter uh, <laughs> reduce their risk of diabetes by about 4%, between 4 and 5%. Um, we know the disaster that was margarine, right, um, causing all these problems um, because of the trans fatty acids that are found in margarine. So, yeah. you know, these these ideas that red meat is bad, that uh, that we can't have uh, butter. The French, um, we in the United States, we published the, the French paradox. The French eat more butter than anyone on earth. They eat over 40 pounds of butter a year. Uh, cream sauces, right? I was trained in a classical French brigade style um, wow. in my culinary background training. And, and, and the, the French have a heart attack yeah. rate that's a fraction <laughs> of what it is in the United States. So the French paradox is well known. And, and actually, I've, I've given a talk where we explain the French paradox in terms of the ultra-processed food because the French tend to eat a lot less ultra-processed food, at least they used to. But as you mentioned, Mary, we're really so many cultures are becoming convenience cultures and, and we're, we're losing cultural food stability. The, the foods that sustained our ancestors are no longer, you know, the, the yes. foods we identify with. And, yes. and as younger people go through drive throughs around the world, you know, the Taco Bell, the McDonald's, the KFCs, they replace these these traditional foods and, and we're losing um, you know, a, a sense of history, a sense of culture, you know, a connection. Um, and, and that f connection to our roots through our food is not only very powerful, it's very important and it helps identify, you know, who we are. And, and those, those types of relationships that we have with our food, I think, are, are very, very important. Dr. Mike, I just for the end, I want to just say one thing. We are, we are all brave. We are all courageous, and we all the beasts, whatever we are, till the you know our heart doesn't start working or have the problems. And it's sort of like a central. It's an engine works twenty four hours per day, and he needs to be looked after. You know, I know this because you know we got some some small. Education in military, where I was about hearts and the body parts and everything else. And I remember the lady, she told us, 
you don't want that that muscle, that engine stop working because that's the, what moves everything around you. Yes. And today we spoke about most important ingredient in life, happiness. We spoke today about happiness. People are not happy. People are depressed and most of these things. And we're counting calories. We're counting the steps. We're counting how many times we bring in fresh air and everything else. And today I had the true privilege to talk to Dr. Mike, who is a chef, by the way, and professor, cardiologist. And I want you to support Dr. Mike on his quest, spreading that happiness through the food and his knowledge through the medicine and cardiology, because after all, we had only one life. We need to live the long life and we need to connect ourselves with the, with the planet Earth. Not like avatars, right? You know, just growing the, our, our roots there. But certainly Dr. Mike is a person who can guide you, mentor you to all your professionals and everybody else on the field who is interested to be happy and healthy. Dr. Mike is our answer. Dr. Mike, thank you very much for being my guest today on a Life the Butterfield. Dr. Mike details and the contact is down below in the comment section. So feel free to contact Dr. Mike. Thank, Dr. thank Mike, you, Mario. This has been so much fun. Um, it's been an honor. And I love it. And I, I can't wait um, to, to get down to Oz and uh, we get together. <laughs> this has been another episode of Life the Battlefield with Mario Beckish. Please like and subscribe and remember to catch all of the Life the Battlefield podcast episodes on YouTube and at mariobeckish.com.au. Don't forget to leave a comment for Mario. And if there is someone you know who could benefit from the experience and insight in this episode, share it with them.